I'm Shani Cooper, and you're listening to the Jewish Women Podcast, where we discuss biblical women and see what they can teach us about being a Jewish woman in this big, confusing world. Today, we're going to talk about Batsheva. The story of David and Batsheva is a crazy story. On first glance, it's very difficult to understand. David goes up onto his roof one night, and while he's there, he sees a woman on a nearby roof taking a bath. He admires her beauty and asks around about her, and finds out that she is Batsheva, the wife of Uriah Hachiti. He sends for her and sleeps with her, because that's what you do when you find out someone has a beautiful wife, right? And then he sends her home. Batsheva becomes pregnant from the encounter and sends a message to David, who has the idea to make the baby look like Uriah's child instead of the result of an affair. He calls Uriah home from the battlefront and tells him to take a rest, go home, enjoy your wife. And Uriah says, absolutely not. I cannot enjoy the comforts of home and bed when my nation is languishing on the battlefield. So David chains tactics and he invites him to a meal, hoping that if he gets Uriah drunk, he'll be more amenable to going home to Bacheva. Uriah does get drunk. But he still refuses to go home, and he camps out in the front of the palace. So David switches tacks altogether, sends Uriah back to the front lines with a letter for his army general Yoav, and instructs Yoav to put Uriah on the front lines where the fighting is heaviest. Yoav does, and of course Uriah is killed, which was David's backup plan. Batsheva is informed of her husband's death, and after the mourning period, David takes her and marries her, and she gives birth to their child. Quite a sordid tale. But it's not over. Hashem, who is angry at David's actions, sends Natan Hanavi to rebuke David. Natan gives David a mushal, a parable of two men, a rich man and a poor man. Now the rich man has lands and sheep and property and wealth, and the poor man has nothing at all but a single sheep. And this sheep is so beloved to this poor man that he eats with it, he sleeps with it, and he treats it as a member of his family. One day the rich man has a guest who's a less than royal guest and he does not want to waste one of his own sheep on such a mediocre meal. He takes the poor man's sheep and he kills it. So Natan asks David, what is the law in this case? What should be done to the rich man? David is enraged at the blatantly insensitive and horrifying actions of the rich man and says that the rich man should not only pay the poor man back fourfold, but he should also be put to death. And Natan tells David, well, you are the rich man in that story. And what you have done is exactly what the rich man did to the poor man. This is what you did to Uriah. So David sees immediately that he's right and he feels bad and he says right away, I've sinned against God and acknowledges his wrongdoing. The punishment that David outlined for the rich man, death and being paid and paying the poor man back fourfold, was the punishment he was meant to receive. But because he immediately expressed regret and did shuva and repented right away, he was not put to death. But he did 
have to pay back fourfold. How? By suffering with four of his children. The first was the death of this baby that Batsheva just gave birth to. The death of this baby was the first. And then there's the terrible incident of his two children, Amnon and Tamar, which I hope to address in a future podcast, and with Avshalom, who rebelled against him. Immediately after this, David and Batsheva's baby gets sick. For seven days, the baby is sick, and David prostrates himself in prayer and refuses all food because David understood that even though God had decreed that his baby would die, as long as the baby was still alive, there was room to change the decree and the baby could live. But after a week, the baby does die and David gets up and eats a meal because he realizes once the baby's dead, there's nothing to do. Now, this in itself is a very powerful lesson. The fact that as long as there's life, there's hope. And as long as the decree hasn't been carried out, there is an opportunity for us to change it. But this is not the lesson that we're going to bring out here. So on with the story. David goes to comfort Bathsheba, who is very wary to sleep with him again, fearing God's wrath. David reassures her that God has forgiven him, and they sleep together, and once again she gets pregnant, and this time gives birth to a healthy baby who grows up to be King Solomon Shlomo HaMelech. Now, at first glance, this reads like a sordid romance novel. You have deceit, affairs, and love triangles. It's really, like, very hard to understand. But since this is Navi, we know it has to be more complex than that. The Malbim explains the story on a more surface level. He explains that in those days, during times of war, men who were killed at the front were buried immediately. To avoid the problem of agunas, who were married women who were not allowed to remarry because of the unknown status of their husbands, every man who went off to war gave his wife a get before he left. A get is so they can get divorced. Now, some say the get was effective immediately, and others say that it only came into effect after a short period of time. So if the soldier survived, then he would remarry his wife upon his return home. And if not, then he was divorced and his wife could remarry. So she didn't have to worry about becoming an aguna. Uriah, as a soldier, was divorced from Bacheva. So in the technical sense, what David did was not adultery. So then what was the problem? The problem was he took her too early. Uriah and Bacheva had not been apart for that long, and it was easy for people to assume that she was still married. David disregarded public opinion and took her secretly, which not only implied that she was married, but also that he was doing something wrong. When you do something in secret, it seems that you're trying to hide it. If you would have done it in public, then that then people assume that you know that you're doing the right thing. It was only after Natan Hanavi rebuked him and Uriah died that David took her properly and married her. So this is very nice. It explains all the technical details of the story, but what is really going on here? The Torah does not just tell us stories to entertain us, and surely there has to be a deeper message than just the fact that David needed to pay attention to public opinion. So what's really going on? David was looking for someone to be the mother of the next king. He needed someone with this mida of malchus, royalty, to join him in creating and preparing the next generation of leaders of Klal Yisrael. So his original thought was that this person who was going to be the mother of the next king would be Michal, his first wife, who was the daughter of Shaul. But if you listen to my last podcast, you'll remember that Michal rejected David's idea of honor and royalty and what he stood for. So when she rejected him in that way, he went looking for someone else. 
And when he saw Batsheva on that roof, he felt an instant connection to her, and he realized that she was the one he was looking for. And the commentaries tell us that she was meant for him. The Gemara in Sanhedrin says that Batsheva was David's intended from the time of the creation of the world, and that they were both very connected to this same idea of Malchus, of royalty. And you see this like a very cute little uh, hint to it in their names. Batsheva, royalty is the seventh Midah, and Batsheva, the name Batsheva means seventh daughter in Hebrew, and David was the seventh son of Yishai. That's like a cute little thing. Now, Chazal also point out that Batsheva knew through Ruach HaKodesh, divine inspiration, that she would be the mother of the next king. And even though she didn't know the details, she assumed that it would be, com- that it would be coming about through David, who is the current king. So why was she on her roof? Because she's been standing at her window for a week and didn't get David's attention. So she went up to the roof, hoping that he would see her there. And indeed, he did. Now, what was this idea of royalty that was so important to David that he went looking for another wife when Michal rejected this idea? So David believed that being a leader meant that you were appointed as God's emissary. That meant putting Hashem before everything, even if it meant putting aside your own personal honor. Real royalty is understanding that you are only a conduit for Hashem's glory in this world. And sacrificing your own personal dignity and modesty is a small price to pay if it means revealing God's glory is the result. Now, Batsheva understood this. She was willing to sacrifice her own modesty and personal honor, her tzniyas, in order to catch David's eye because she understood that there were some things bigger than herself. Both David and Batsheva understood that Mashiach needed to be born and they were willing to do whatever it took to make that happen, even if it appeared bad to the world. Not because they didn't care, but because they were so focused on doing what they needed to do that Thinking about other people's opinion was totally below their radar. David and Batsheva were the kind of people who existed in higher realms. Ultimately, though this is a good midah, this was an example of a time where David should have paid more attention to public opinion. Sometimes it's okay to ignore what people think, like when he danced for the Aaron in the streets, expressing extreme joy at the idea of returning God's glory to Jerusalem. That was a good thing because he was expressing joy for the honor of Hashem. But other times, like when it makes people think that you are committing adultery, then you need to take appearances into account. So what's the main lesson that you have to remember at all times that you are an emissary of God and all of your actions should be evaluated through that lens. This means that not only are you doing the will of God, but you're constantly making sure that you are increasing his honor in private and in public. And sometimes that means doing one thing and sometimes that means doing another. But the point is, is that there's no one rule. The one rule is, is will what I'm doing now make God look good or not? The Mesilis Yasharim says that a person cannot be a faithful servant if he's constantly worried about his own honor. We are all servants of Hashem, and our job in this world is to increase kavod shamayim, even if it is not the popular thing to do. Both David and Batsheva were willing to sacrifice their own honor for Hashem. Are we willing to do the same? Are we willing to do what's right no matter what? 
I think that we are. Now, you know I was going to mention Corona. I'm going to mention Corona. Now, the I was debating not to do this this year now on Bacheva and to do something that was more appropriate. And then I realized that this is more appropriate. If you look around at your life, you will find examples of when you did the right thing, even if it wasn't the popular thing. I'm going to get back to Corona in a minute. Now, as an example, making Aliyah. My family, I'll just use us as an example. We made Aliyah in 2001 at the beginning of an intifada with seven teenagers. Now, people thought we were so, so odd for doing something like that, that the ABC News did an interview with my family. And um, we did it anyway, and it's, we haven't looked back, and it's been the best decision we ever made. But that was just an example. Anybody, a, a, another example. Another example is... Um, in the book All for the Boss. You ever read that? It's a fabulous book. It's a story of Rav Yaakov Yosef Herman, who was the father-in-law of Rav Chaim Pinchas Scheinberg and some other gedolim. And in it, his daughter Rucha Machine tells of her older sister's wedding in New York at the beginning of the 20th century. Her father was determined to have separate dancing, modestly dressed women, and that everybody should make a blessing on their food before they ate. So he put it on the invitations. He had his younger children walk around the wedding with big placards and went around splitting up the dancing couple. So that was certainly not popular, but he was one of the pioneers of religious life in America because of his firm stance that God came before our own needs. Now, back to Corona. We are living in very strange and difficult times, and this lesson is more appropriate than ever. How do you show, however, how how do you show leadership when we're in quarantine? So showing leadership during these times can be something as simple as observing the quarantine or helping out a neighbor in whatever way you can or making sure that your kids have a structure and sharing tips with other parents who face a similar situation. Even stuck at home, we have opportunities for Kiddush Hashem and showing true leadership because true leadership is making sure that God looks good. And we always have an opportunity to make sure that God looks good because as Jewish people, we are the ones who have the, who, who can educate everybody about, uh, of God's goodness in this world. And this is opportunity that we have quarantine or not with best wishes to all of you for a healthy and safe.